Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. Following ideal grazing conditions in the month of February, grass specialist John Maher looks ahead to the rest of the spring rotation with top tips to lead us into the mid-season grazing. Broadly, uh, February has gone very well for grazing, to be honest. Many farmers have had um, a good run, to say the least, especially the last two weeks of February because ground conditions improved. Um, they had to do a number of things. They had to get 30% of the farm grazed. We're not quite there, but we're reasonably close to it. Obviously, many farmers grazed the lighter covers, got cows out day and night, uh, took out silage, and I suppose, um, you know, had an opportunity to reduce the costs and feed a little bit less meal because, you know, you're out day and night. So it's gone reasonably well. Um, a lot of fertiliser got put out as well. So I'd say coming to the 1st of March, um, farmers are pretty happy where they were. The biggest challenge, all right, um, um, arrives from the fact that grass growth over the winter has been very, very good, so the covers are high. And that provides a challenge to get through them, simply because you're um, uh, grazing big volumes of grass, you need a lot of cows' calves, they need to be out day and night, and they need to be, you know, for the want of a better word, conditioned to graze. Um, if you have silage in the diet, that diminishes their ability to graze well. So, you know, latter end of February has gone well and a lot of people have caught up in terms of grazing. So as of the 1st of March, things are not too bad at all on farm now. And you mentioned the the high farm cover that we've seen on farms. And I, I suppose particularly if we look at the winter of 2018 compared with the winter of 2017, like there's a just a completely different story on farms in terms of the amount of grass available. What sort of farm covers were we looking at on the 1st of February and where are we standing now? Yeah, no, that's a good question. The tree springs have been very different. We had a very grothy spring in 2017, but ground conditions weren't as good as they were in 19. Obviously, 2018 was a difficult spring, not, not as much grass around and grazing was was challenging to say the least. It's interesting that you asked that question. The farm cover on pasture base on the 1st of February was just below 1,000. The uh, farm cover on average on pasture base on the 1st of March was the same figure. So that basically tells us very quickly what we ate, we grew. Um, so we still have a lot of grass on farm as of the 1st of March. Now, the, the challenge, of course, is that we have higher covers and then, you know, as of the 1st of March, you know, the first real serious belt of rain came with many places getting three inches of rain over the last four or five days. And like we're heading in now, like we've we've gone past early March, so we're heading into mid-March and, you know, you're alluding to this high cover. You know, what is the solution for farmers if they're aiming to start their first round on the first week of April? Yeah, look, when you look back at the recovery of the first grazed paddocks, either they were grazed in January, early February, they're quite good. Growth rate has been above normal in February. So the estimate for the level of cover on the farm for the for the start of the second round would be, as you said, around the early April at this point in time, given any level of normality in growth. Now, the challenge arrives in that uh, we have difficult grazing conditions at times because of weather and the fact that many of the uh, farms have to face into grazing some high covers. When we talk about high covers, we're talking about, you know, grass, you know, somewhere about 2,000 kilos and beyond in terms of cover. That that poses a challenge in terms of grazing. Um, You need a lot of cows out to get through that and you need them well conditioned for grazing so to make that happen then right um, where the where the 
the six week calving rate is high that's a big help because you've got a cows calved um, and they're calved a while so that helps to to you know improve their appetite for, for grazing the next piece of the jigsaw then is to try and keep the silage out of the diet or if it is in the diet as minimal as possible the reality is that once silage is in the diet it it unfortunately, you know, um, takes the edge off the animal or, you know, they feel fuller, for want of a better way of describing it. And, um, you know, their appetite for grazing then is, is somewhat compromised. So just to give an idea, you know, for every five kilos of silage uh, eaten by a cow or one kilo of dry matter, you're talking about reducing the, the reducing the grazing time by about half hour to 45 minutes. So any quantity of silage going into the diet at all unfortunately will you know reduce the ability for the animal to you know graze as well as we would like just to come in there john what is the diet looking like is there much silage in the diet at the moment yeah so the last estimate in pasture base which would be for the you know start to march end of february would have mostly grass about 10 kilos so the, the vast majority is grass some level of meal maybe you know uh, three to four kilos a meal and a small bit of silage however because rain has come now um um, and, you know, a quick volume there towards the first weekend in March. Grazing conditions were tricky. Um, in some places there was snow got. Um, so, you know, animals have started to go in and go out. Now, that's absolutely fine as long as the, as the diet is, is, is lending itself to, you know, maximise the intake of grazed grass. We know work done here in Moor Park will um, keep... Um, a high intake of grass in the diet by going out for uh, we call them bouts of three hours in the morning and bouts of grazing for three hours in the evening um, provided that the animal's not full of silage and I keep coming back to that because it's important so the diet would start with maybe if we just go at the moment maybe uh, milk in the morning two kilos a meal maybe the animals are held in the yard for two to three hours um, then go out and graze for three hours come back in get another two kilos a meal and then um, back out again for and no silage on the middle of the day back out again then for another bout of grazing maybe two, three, four hours depending on how things are going and conditions are um, underfoot uh, if they're reasonable um, and then the animals come in some people are doing a very good job on the grazing will feed no silage during the night time however some farmers sometimes are not entirely comfortable with that I can live with that if they feed a small amount of silage they need a two footer per cow now to make sure that every animal can get some silage but um, if they get a small bit of silage, um, that's okay up to the early hours of the morning, provided there's little or no silage in front of them at milking time, then, you know, the animal is keen to graze. There is the odd number of farmers who will have silage in front of them all night. That's not ideal. However, it can be somewhat rectified after milking if the animals are kept in the yard or inside in the shed without silage, right? Uh, they can be in cubicles as well without silage for three hours. And then you, you, you've just put an, um, you know, an appetite on the animal to graze. So they can be managed, but the silage must be kept to a minimum to try and maximise grass intake. And just on that, you know, you're talking about those two bouts of grazing. And, yes. th- th- you know, there's a significant amount of work being done on that on-off grazing. Yes. What can a cow achieve in terms of intake if they do two, three-hour bouts after each milking? Yeah, well, if, if, if we can do the, the, the three-hour bouts, um, um, we can get a, an awful lot of grass into the animals in, in, in each one, four to five kilos of grass in each bout. So, like, that's possible. And we could, we, can, we mightn't get all the 10 kilos of grass in, but we can go pretty close to it, right? Um, and then we obviously have the meal and um, hopefully very little silage. But 
they have natural grazing bouts and it normally comes after each milking and that's what they capitalise on it. But it's important that there's no silage, you know, of any big quantity in their diet before they go grazing. Yeah. And then another thing, you mentioned that a kilogram of dry matter of silage or five kilos fresh weight yeah. will reduce grazing time by 30 to 45 minutes. Yes. You know, for farmers who are feeding a high level of concentrate in the form of supplement as well, yes. is that impacting on grazing time? It does impact, but not to the same effect. So the rule of thumb really is that, you know, for every kilo of meal above three, you're probably losing 10 to 15 minutes in terms of grazing time. So it's not the same effect. It's more concentrated. That's why it's called concentrates or meal or ration. So, you know, the, the silage is a much more fibrous feed, tends to be low in digestibility. We look at the average figures for somewhere around 68 to 70 DMD. That slows down the ability to animal to graze. Even 75 DMD will slow down the ability to animal to graze. Incidentally, a lot of the grass out there being grazed is north of 80 DMD. So there's a big difference between the quality of the two diets and this is why then we capitalise on this grass grass it's a higher value feed it's uh, the cheapest cost of feed and will keep the ant performance high and I suppose if we want to be critical um, and frank about silage silage at 68 or 70 DMD does not belong in a dairy cow diet if we're being realistic you know no you know I, I, I work in the heavy size programme and you know unfortunately ground conditions dictates at times where they can graze and you know you have to have good quality silage 68 DMD is very very mediocre silage and you're going to compromise on performance and then what naturally happens then is the farmer ends up feeding a lot more meal. So you up the cost and lower your milk price by having large volumes of silage in the diet unfortunately and then if we move on, something else you've mentioned, like you've alluded to the bad weather conditions over the last few days, I suppose the last maybe seven to ten days even. Um, what way is that affecting ground conditions? If you can just give us, I suppose, a picture of what has happened. Yeah, like the, the ground has been in super shape because of the dry summer. We've had a great autumn, um, reasonably mild winter. Soil temperatures have been high. Grass has been growing. That's all those are very positive things towards ground conditions. Saying that we get a level of rain and high volumes in a short period can make things tricky. But given half a chance, you know, even take even the worst belt of rain, um, you know, if we've 24 hours dry after us, ground conditions improve enormously. So the ground is naturally, you know, in a very good state from the fabulous summer, fabulous autumn, fairly mild, low fall, rainfall winter. Um, so, you know, the big thing here is the farmer has to walk the farm to find the areas where they can graze. You know, once we have a reasonable spell of um, even 24 hours, we'll do an awful lot to dry ground on many, many farms and on many paddocks on many farms. For the farmer to make the best of this, to me, they milk the cows in the morning, do all the bits and pieces around the yard, calf work, leave the animals in the shed for, an, um, you know, an hour or two. Right, or, or standing in the yard, whichever whichever suits, um, then go out. The farmer just takes the half hour to go out and walk the farm, see where the best grass is to graze in difficult conditions, which is normally the lower cover grass. See where the paddock is in terms of ground conditions. See where the paddock is in terms of, or examine the paddock in terms of the grazing infrastructure. Do I have multiple gapways? Where's the water truck? Do I have roadways on both sides? Is it a long narrow paddock? Then I wouldn't like to be in it. If it's a square paddock with multiple access, then you know. Uh, this is a place I can go when conditions are tricky. So the farmer needs to have two or three paddocks in in his or her head to um, be ready to go graze, right, depending on 
um, you know, the prevailing ground conditions and the weather that's there. And sometimes if the weather, weather is reasonably good, they might go to more awkward or poorly infrastructured paddocks. If the weather is tricky, you might go to the paddocks with lower cover of grass and, 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 and that has good grazing infrastructure and very good access. And my next question then moving on, you mentioned that ground conditions were excellent early in the spring and a lot of people got out with fertiliser. Yes. Um, you know, looking at different reports, like for example, the Johnstown Castle report, they're going with their second round. I suppose, what's your main advice for farmers looking at the second round? The reality is um, a lot of fertiliser went out in, you know, uh, uh, mid-January, just after the, the closing date, um, you know, uh, surpassed in terms of application of slurry and fertiliser. So, you know, we're now six, seven weeks after that. So the next round of fertilisers is overdue, right? Um, some people got to spread the second round at the end of February when the weather was good. Uh, obviously, early March hasn't come as good, but there will be an opportunity to spread fertiliser again for those who went with, you know, a half bag of urea or 25, 30 units in January, early February. They're due 40 units now to try and reach the target of having 60 to 70 units out by the 1st of April. There may be slurry combinations in there as well, and some allowance can be allowed for the slurry in terms of, in terms of its application. Maybe um, five units per thousand gallons applied. So, the next fertilizer application is due for those who went who went later with fertilizer application. They probably should have spread thirty five units rather than twenty five units in you know in the latter end of February. So they have a bit more time to work with. But for those who applied early, they're now overdue in terms of fertilizer application because the six week window is more or less up, and that in a normal circumstance would be, you know, the window in which the 23 units would be more or less utilised. And, and you mentioned some people are using a combination of chemical fertiliser and the slurry, but what products are you recommending people go with? Yeah, OK, so, you know, um, uh, the preferred choice at this time of year, year for straight nitrogen is the uh, is urea, right? Uh, some people use protected urea, that's no issue either, that's, that's absolutely fine. So you're talking about applying 40 units of um, urea per acre now on many parts of the farm, irrespective of whether it's grazed or ungrazed, irrespective of whether it's high cover or low cover. There's actually a lot of questions out at the moment about spreading fertiliser in high cover. If any place in the farm needs fertiliser, it's actually the high covers. And many farmers question this. But I, the way I'll put it to you, high covers, right, are going to be difficult to, to maintain and, for want of a better word, store and stop them turning yellow and decaying. So the fertiliser helps that. It also promotes growth in some of those covers. But more importantly, the big thing with the high covers is once they're graze, they will tend to be white or yellow, right? And they have to recover. This is where the fertiliser comes into its own to encourage that recovery. Because, you know, the reality is now we're early, we're early March or the first half of March. You know, in, in, in a month's time, some of those paddocks will be seen. So we need them to, to, be, to be coming back. And that's why applying fertiliser now to get those to recover fast is essential. And my my final big question for you then, John, I know that we can't predict, I suppose, how the next few weeks will come. Mm-hmm. And we have all these high covers on the farm. Yes. Will we be cutting silage early this year? In some instances, that may happen. It depends on where, where you are with your targets um, and be it on the cow targets and on the grazing targets. So if you're someone that has got 30 or 40% of the farm grazed by the, the 1st of uh, March, and um, have a lot of cows calved. I suspect that most of, uh, and are reasonably stocked, you know, anywhere close to three cows per hectare, I I suspect most of those farms will get to graze all of the paddocks. 
that's my expectation at this point in time. Now, it is hard to predict, accept that. However, if you're lower stocked, um, lower six-week calving rate and haven't reached the targets of the 30% by the 1st of February, there is a possibility that, that um, and a strong possibility that some of the paddocks may not get grazed and you have to be thinking about allocating those to a silage area. Now, there'll be low covers that might go into what I would call long-term silage and cut at the end of May and then there are high covers that could go for short-term silage. Right. What I mean by that is that you may not get to graze them, but the first good spell of weather in April that you you take them out as surplus bales and bring them back into the grazing area. This is a common enough practice amongst farmers who are very good at grazing um, on heavy land. It, it's not the grass supply that limits their situation in terms of grazing as the ground conditions. Sometimes they don't get to graze paddocks in, in mild springs simply because ground conditions beat them and, and the grass supply is high on their farm. But they press the reset button sometime around, you know, in the middle of April, maybe the end of April, cut those paddocks out of surplus bales and start the cycle all over again. And it works well for them. And I guess finally, John, can you give us your top two or three tips to get us through the month of March into the main grazing season. Yeah, okay. The, the first one would be, and especially when the weather is tricky, right, is to walk the farm um, and assess, you know, all the paddocks that have to be grazed, what the infrastructure is like, what the ground condition is like, what the cover is like, those three things. So cover, grazing infrastructure and the ground conditions. And when things are tricky, then you pick the lowest cover with the best grazing infrastructure with the best ground conditions, okay? So that's walking the farm just to assess and, and ideally, you should have three of those paddocks in your mind for those difficult grazing conditions, which prevail at the moment. So that's the first tip. The second tip then would be to get fertilizer out for certainly those who apply it early in 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 you know in the season, which would be the you know middle of January on. Um, they need to get the second bed of fertilizer out, particularly where the covers are high, and irrespective of whether they're grazed or ungrazed, they need that fertilizer. That's essential. People are missing that point, um, unfortunately. Um, the third tip then to get the animal um, at its optimum in terms of grazing to make you know hay for want of a better word in those high covers there has to be an appetite or an edge on them and the biggest thing that affects that is the level of silage in the diet so you know if we can keep animals out in the morning and out in the evening even if they come in at night you know you will get through a good proportion of the farm and get through the high covers um, I suppose they're my three top tips yep that's great, John. I think we've a good roadmap to get us, I suppose, from now until early April. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to John Maher for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge. <laughs>